we continue our studies in the book of uh, Revelation. And uh, today uh, we come on this Father's Day uh, to recognize one aspect about the book of uh, Revelation. We, we uh, hinted at that uh, last Sunday as well, that it is God the Father who's sending uh, this. And I like to think of this on this Father's Day as our Heavenly Father's love letter uh, to his uh, church. Uh, and particularly at that time, uh, we read John uh, writing, uh, John the messenger for God, writing this letter uh, from uh, Jesus uh, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And so this is uh, the, uh, the entire book of Revelation is uh, God's epistle, God's letter, God's love letter uh, to his churches knowing that they are in those particular churches uh, that are being mentioned, uh, the seven churches in the province of Asia, the churches uh, around the entire Roman Empire at that point. But not only that, but the churches that across the centuries have undergone persecution, have lived through difficult times, uh, challenging times, standing as witnesses for God. He is writing to them uh, saying, I see you and I am uh, coming soon, and all the difficulty that you are undergoing now. Uh, be faithful, endure, carry on, uh, because the victory has already been won in the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, uh, he will come again very soon. He is, in fact, on his way. And so this is an expression. The book of uh, Revelation is an expression of God's love uh, and, and it is, I, I think it is right for us to be thinking about this as God's love letter uh, to his uh, church. So this is a letter. Uh, last time uh, we looked at the fact that it's a prophecy. It's a book. It's a revelation. It's an apocalyptic piece of literature. Uh, but we also recognize that not only is a book of revelation uh, a, a, a prophecy, it is also given to us as a letter. It is in the form of a letter. Uh, written by the hand of uh, John, uh, but really a letter that is a message uh, from uh, God uh, given uh, to the churches. And so John uh, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And uh, I say that this is a letter not just to those seven churches that are named in the book, the seven churches in the province of Asia, uh, but it is a letter to uh, to the entire church. It is uh, the letter to the church scattered across uh, the entire Roman Empire at this at that point, in fact, beyond the Roman Empire as well uh, at that point. Um, uh, and, and this is written on behalf of God. It's a message from God. Now, why do I say that this is a letter that is written to the entire church? Number one, uh, look at the number seven. Uh, the first reason, look at the number seven. Now, seven in the Bible is, is a number uh, that signifies fullness, signifies completion. Uh, when uh, we, we think about the seven days of creation, uh, God created the world, rested on the seven days. His work was done. It, it, it brought things to completion. All was set in motion. The work that was needing to be done was completed. And so when we uh, think about seven, it is a symbol uh, for completed, something that work, the work that has been completed, something that tells us about the fullness 
the completion of something. So here, uh, even though the uh, letter is addressed to seven historical churches that were there in the province of Asia, the fact that uh, John talks about these seven is an indicator because even later on in the book of Revelation, seven often uh, comes and uh, is, uh, is, is a symbol for that. But not only that, you see, there's more uh, to this. The letters that follow specific uh, to the churches, the seven letters in the next two uh, chapters that follow, uh, they are addressed to the churches. And each letter actually ends with this statement. Each letter ends with this statement. Uh, towards the end uh, of each uh, letter comes this statement, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so uh, the, the message that is being written to us in the book of Revelation was not just for those seven churches. It was indeed for all the churches that existed at that time and down through history, even to us. So this is a letter written to the churches. Now here, uh, there's another point that I would like to highlight, and that is that this is written, this letter is written to the churches that are scattered uh, across uh, the province of Asia, but scattered across uh, the known world at that uh, time as well. And I want to highlight one particular aspect, something that you and I have been experiencing. Remember the fact that you know, when we were no longer because of public health restrictions allowed to meet together and we were scattered as it were, and the pain that we have experienced and have been experiencing because we can't get together physically in one place, assemble together and worship God. You see, that's our, our, uh, something that we are wanting to get back to. That is actually something that is God's dream as well. Because when he thinks about his people, he says, I will gather for myself a people uh, for my name, people who will be pure, people who will be separated unto him. And so his desire has always been to gather for himself a people who are assembled together. And I want to point out that when we here speak about the historical churches, when we speak about the scattered churches, that same sort of a pain, I believe, is experienced by God. But today, even before the pandemic and after the pandemic is over, you and I will get back to our local church and we will assemble together. But in God's eyes, his people are still scattered all over the world. And so the very experience of the historical church is a church that is scattered across the world, not really assembled as one people. And that is why the book of Revelation moves us towards that final vision, uh, towards the end when the entire church is gathered up at the coming back of Jesus. That's the time we'll be able to say, truly now the church is assembled as the new Jerusalem, as the bride of Jesus. But until then, until he comes back, our experience is that of being a scattered church and we are not truly assembled. We, we think about this often in terms of when we talk about the unity of the church and we say that uh, we should all be united. But that true unity, that assembly of God's people with something that we look forward to. That is something that's going to happen when Jesus comes. So in writing to these seven churches, 
because really if 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 god's writing a letter he should be writing the letter to one church but we are not one church we are not one assembled church we are not assembled in one place we are scattered these seven churches and all of the churches uh, at that point and beyond we've been scattered and that's a painful thing just like you and i have experienced and continue to experience the pain of not being able to meet with other believers not being able to assemble i think is a pain that we should remember. This is one of the lessons this pandemic is teaching us, that it is not enough for us to be able to be able to gather as one local assembled church in one uh, local building. But really God's vision is for all his people worldwide, every nation, every tribe, every, uh, every language, every place, every people on earth uh, to be gathered together uh, to worship him. And we look forward to that gathering. But meanwhile, let's remember that when he writes this letter, John to the seven churches is writing to the, all these churches that are scattered. Now, part of the scattered experience is uh, that we, uh, we become people who walk uh, in the midst of difficulty and trouble, and especially those churches at that time. And we know that many churches across the world uh, today experience persecution. Uh, persecution was increasing and was very painful at that time. And God is writing this love letter to his churches to say, very soon, I am coming back. Meanwhile, stand as witnesses, continue to endure, continue to, uh, continue to share the good news uh, of God with everyone. Now, we, when, when we come to the second part of uh, the the fourth verse and the fifth first part of the fifth verse he says uh, john brings a greeting uh, from the triune god a blessing from the triune god he says grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and our English translations, because, and e even other languages, even in the Urdu, the same is true. Uh, it says, who is to come. But actually, the word, even though grammatically it would be difficult to say this, what it says there, who is to come, is who is coming. It's like a present tense, something that is happening. So, grace and peace to uh, you from him who is, who was, and who is coming. He's on the way. There's a sense of imminence. There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense that God has already started uh, moving, uh, in, in moving towards us. He, he who is coming. And so this grace and peace comes to us from God the Father, uh, who is, who was, who's been beyond time, who is the eternal God, and who has begun his movement towards us but then also from the seven spirits before the throne the seven spirits before the throne and sometimes when we read this uh, we wonder is there one holy spirit or are there seven uh, spirits but one again once again i think the number seven speaks to us uh, symbolically as as well that this is the spirit that moves this is the spirit uh, that is uh, that brings the fullness of God's activity and presence to his people. And I want you to turn to, if you have your Bibles, to Psalm 139, because over there we have a, 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 a very beautiful picture about God's spirit and the presence of God through his Holy Spirit uh, for us. And, and we will just see 
how not only is uh, the the fullness of God's activity and presence symbolized uh, by the number seven, but also his very uh, presence in very spatial terms. Uh, verse seven in Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Now, imagine this, when he speaks about the seven spirits that are before your throne, this brings a sense of the immediacy of God's presence with his people. Right now, God is present with us. And so when he's speaking this to the churches that are undergoing persecution and fearing more severe persecution is on, his, on its way, and they may experience that it seems to us that God is hidden from us, that God can't see us, he is reminding them that them through the that through the Holy Spirit, God's presence is always with us. There is no place where He is not with us. So, uh, Psalm 139, verse seven: Where can I go from Your Spirit? Where can I flee from Your presence? If I go up to the heavens, You are there. So, if I go upwards, You are there. If I make my bed in the depths, You are there. If I go downwards, You are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, if I go in every, any one of the four directions, anywhere, you are there. And then comes this beautiful uh, word of consolation and assurance, even there. You know, whether we go up, whether we go down, whether we stay where we are, or whether we travel in east to the west, or, or to the north or the south, wherever we might go, even there, your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. And so that's the beauty of the presence and activity of God. So the seven fold or the seven spirits of God in, the pres in, 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 in front of the throne reminds us of the active, complete, full uh, uh, work of the Holy Spirit who is present with us in every circumstance that we are going through, whether it is the uh, circumstances of persecution that churches endure, or it is times of trouble that we might endure at a personal level, or it may be uh, things like worldwide we are experiencing this pandemic. God is with us. He is with us. His sevenfold uh, spirit, uh, uh, the seven spirits before his throne is an indicator that symbolism of the word seven is an indicator to us that he's with us spatially as well, wherever we may be. And so this, this blessing of grace and peace comes from God the Father, yeah, he who is, who was, and who is coming, and from the Holy Spirit uh, of God, and then also from Jesus Christ, who is described in three descriptions, three descriptors. First of all, who is the faithful witness? Now, writing to those who were enduring persecution and were called by God to be witnesses, even in, in spite of persecution, this is a reminder of the fact that Jesus himself endured persecution. Jesus himself endured suffering, and he remained faithful unto death, and God brought him beyond death through resurrection and ascension. And so that's a reminder to, to the, those who are being persecuted or those who are facing suffering or trouble, that Jesus Christ is the one who is the faithful witness. So if we are called, if our Lord was called to be a faithful witness and he was a faithful witness, you and I also are called to be faithful witnesses in every circumstance of our life. So who is, uh, who, who is the faithful witness? The firstborn from the dead. 
And what that essentially means is uh, we might think about how come Jesus is the firstborn from the dead? Wasn't Lazarus raised from the dead? But the fact that that is being highlighted here is not the fact that Jesus performed that miracle and somebody rose from the dead because Lazarus went back. He rose with the same sort of body that he had before he died and he eventually died as well. But when Jesus rose again, he becomes the firstborn of the new creation. And so what this signifies to us is that the old is on its way out and the new creation is here. So he's the firstborn from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, who sends this, uh, gives to us this blessing as part of the triune God of grace and peace is the, is the harbinger, uh, so to speak, of the new creation, the firstborn from the dead, first one in the new creation. And then he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's a ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the one in whose hands lies the ultimate authority. He actually is authoritative over every ruler. Now we know that uh, rulers on, in this earth do not recognize Jesus, but that's their fault. That is something uh, they are in uh, rebellion against God and will be held accountable by God at one, one time. And so we've got to be thinking of this, uh, uh, this statement and this teaching here that Jesus is the Lord and King right now. And every ruler that rules, whether they rule over a city, whether they rule over uh, a province or a nation, uh, whatever they rule over, they are ultimately going to be held accountable before the throne room of God. And we've got to be recognizing this. And when we pray, as God calls us in his scriptures to pray for our leaders, to pray for those who are in authority, let us remember this, that, there, that our prayers also rise up before God and uh, ask him that you, you, you work in the hearts of the rulers so that they might recognize uh, your authority. They might recognize that Jesus is indeed uh, the Lord over all uh, the kings of the earth. So here you have the triune God, a beautiful statement that comes from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and God the Son uh, telling us that we are blessed in and through Jesus Christ. As we move on, uh, continuing to talk about Jesus. Now, John breaks out into what we will call a doxology, a statement of praise and thanksgiving, giving glory to him. Because as he thinks about this, his mind and heart is filled with wonder. He's saying, what a wonderful, complete salvation we have in God. What a wonderful, loving God that uh, we serve. And so he moves on to this doxology and this first statement that he makes to him who loves us. Now, recognize this. This is the, the one who has been called God the Father, the one who is, who, who was, who is coming. Uh, this is the Holy Spirit who is present everywhere, who, who's always guiding and leading us. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. This is the Lord Jesus Christ uh, who is the firstborn from among the dead, the first bringer of new creation for us. And, and this, is, uh, this, this is the one who is uh, the king over all the rulers of the earth, he is the one who loves us. 
Now, if you were a church, if you were a part of a church that was facing terrible persecution, to know from these words that the king of all kings, the Lord of hosts, loves us was a tremendously encouraging and comforting word. And remember this, in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of any trouble or suffering that you may be experiencing in your personal life, remember that the Most High God loves you. The Most High God looks upon you and he loves you like no one else can love. And so John's doxology, first of all, among the three things he says, first of all, he says, he is the one who loves us. And then he says, he has freed us from our sins by his blood. He has freed us. You see, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. We would not have had access to God, this mighty, glorious, holy, thrice holy God, the triune God. We couldn't have had access because of our sins. But God has freed us from Jesus Christ has freed us from our sins by the sacrifice that he gave by his blood. We no longer are under obligation to sin. We are no longer, we are freed from that uh, captivity of sin that we were under and we have been washed and we are now able to come before the very throne of grace, the throne of glory, in fact, of God as well. And not, not only that, the third thing he says, he's made us a kingdom. He's brought us all together. He's made us part of a kingdom. And he has made us priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. So to him be glory and power forever and ever. But notice here what he says. He says, we have been made a kingdom and we've been made priests to serve God the Father. And what that means is that you and I, Every individual who knows the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of where we are, which, which local church we belong to, if we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are a child of God, but we have been freed from our sins. We have received and responded to God's love. We have been commissioned by God as priests. See, priests are not the, just those people who are ordained by churches. The Bible, when it talks about priests, talks about every Christian being a priest, everyone, because the priest's job is to represent the people before God and to communicate from God uh, to the people. And that's what you and I are called to be. That's part of the job of a faithful witness as well. So uh, by even in his doxology, uh, John is reminding uh, the people, the churches, that you are called to remain faithful witnesses. God has called you to serve as a priest. And this is a high calling, just like uh, the Lord Jesus served uh, his God and our, our God and his father and our father. Uh, we are also called uh, to be holy priests, witnesses uh, to God's work. And so this doxology, this response uh, to God's uh, love and God's blessing and God's grace to us, to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. We all respond to this and say to God, to him be glory and power forever and ever. So be it. Amen. So be it. Amen. And then he wants to turn our attention to a visual 
uh, sight and in our imagination we can we can look at this he says look look he says with that sense of immediacy with the sense of imminence that this is about this is he's coming he's on his way look he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him see him even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him so shall it be amen so number one he's saying look he's coming he's on his way and so don't give up heart stay strong stay faithful endure remember you're called to be a faithful witness he's coming soon and he says every eye will see him even the ones who persecuted him and remember when it says even the those who persecuted him those who persecute the church of god uh, are are also ones who are persecuting jesus remember jesus's conversation with paul when he was still Saul on the way to Damascus, uh, Jesus asked him this question, why do you persecute me? When actually Paul was persecuting, Saul was persecuting the church. So persecuting the church is the equivalent of persecuting Jesus. So he says, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, those who, pier those who persecute the church, they will also see him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. Now, here's a question. I want to put before us for our consideration. Why are they mourning? Is this a sadness of repentance? Or is it a sadness, a mourning that comes because of judgment? And here is a question that I want to follow up with for you and for me. The difference that our witness makes for people around us is this that when jesus christ comes there will be people who will be under his judgment but if you and i have been faithful witnesses and we have shared the love of jesus with others they will not have been judged because when we would have shared jesus with them they would have had an opportunity to mourn not because judgment was coming, but mourn because they repented and turned to Jesus. You see, God has kept you and me. We are priests in his wonderful kingdom. And he has kept us on earth for this purpose, that we might be faithful witnesses to him, regardless of trouble in us uh, in our lives regardless of suffering in our lives regardless of whether we have to face persecution doesn't matter we are called to be faithful witnesses and our witness will make the difference between those who will mourn because they are repenting and those who fail to repent and therefore at the end they mourn because they are now facing judgment on and on that day Will Jesus look up and look into your eye and my eye as one of the people he loved is being sent to judgment, but we had the opportunity to share Jesus with them and we didn't. And that person didn't have the opportunity to repent and therefore is going into judgment. Just like Jesus raised his eyes when the crow crowed the third time and looked into Peter's eyes and Peter knew that Jesus had loved him but he had called him 
but we had Peter had failed Jesus and we will recognize at that time if we have not been faithful witnesses that we failed Jesus may that day never come so when we look at this look at this look he's coming with the clouds he's coming soon anytime he could come back his coming is imminent and every eye will see him even those who pierced him who persecuted him persecuted jesus persecuted his church and all the peoples every tribe every language every culture every nation they will mourn some will have mourned in repentance others who didn't either because they were not witness to or because when they were witness to, they rejected Jesus. They will mourn because of judgment. And the difference in many cases will be because you and I were faithful witnesses. And so even as he's writing to the church, he's inviting the church to be faithful witnesses in the midst of the most severe persecution as well. And so let's remember that. And then finally, he comes uh, to this point. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is coming, the Almighty God. And let's remember that the Lord God is sovereign. He is sovereign over all. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha and Omega are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. And so what it means is that God is uh, God was there in the beginning, God is there, uh, will be there at the end, and God is there right throughout uh, every other uh, letter in the alphabet, as it were, in every other space. So it isn't just that God was there in the beginning, and he was, he's going to be there in the end, but he is there every step of the way. So God is with you and I right now. He is with us. That's what it means. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm at the beginning, I'm at the end, and I'm all the way through with you. So, and then it says that yeah, he's eternal. He is the one who is. He is the one who was. He is the one who is coming. He's the Almighty, the powerful one, the sovereign one. And so I want to encourage you as we uh, bring this uh, to be uh, to a close uh, to remember that you and I are called to be faithful witnesses. We witness through our lives and through our faithfulness, we witness to God's sovereignty. We submit to it because we know that God is sovereign over lives. He has not left us alone. He watches us, he loves us, he's involved in our lives and he's sovereign, he's in control. And so we put our trust and faith in him. We do not uh, act as if we had no hope, we, as if God was not in control, but we can't constantly by our attitudes, by our actions, uh, by the decisions and choices we make, we witness to God's sovereignty on, in our lives, in the lives of the church, and the lives of this world. And then secondly, we are, God's, uh, uh, we are witnesses to God's presence and activity through his Holy Spirit. We are called to witness. And so we open up our lives. We become witnesses by word of testimony, our own testimonies, as we tell other people about how God is active, how God is present with us. And therefore, that's an invitation to you and I to live in the presence of God daily, moment by moment, knowing that he is. There is no place, the psalmist said, where I can escape from your presence. Whether I go up or down or stay where I am or go in any of the four directions, you'll be there, you will guide me, you are available to help me. And so we are witnesses to God's presence uh, uh, and activity uh, through the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then finally, 
we are witnesses to God's salvation in Jesus Christ. And therefore, our lives must not only be a claim to be saved, which we are through faith in Jesus, but our lives must also bear the fruit of salvation uh, so that through our words and through our deeds, we will be faithful witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ who has saved us. And so let's remember this church as we move forward in our studies in, in the book of Revelation. This is God, our father's love letter to his church. And he is encouraging us, telling us that he loves us, that he's called us to be faithful and to witness to the fact that God is sovereign, that God is active and present, that God is our salvation. And especially through these uh, days of the pandemic, uh, let us particularly remember that as faithful witnesses, we have opportunities to minister as God's priests to the people around us so that we can pray on their behalf to God and we can, uh, uh, we can pray, uh, we can represent them before God and bring God's word and message uh, to them as well. And so let's remember that in the midst of whatever circumstances we may be as, as part of the church, as part of this world, and even in our personal lives, we are called to be faithful witnesses to witness to the glory and the majesty of our God and to invite others to walk alongside us so that one day we who are today scattered might be together assembled in one location when Jesus comes back as the new Jerusalem, the church of the uh, holy and wonderful God, our Father, our Lord. May God bless you.